Baker, and this is The Off-Duty Diplomat, a podcast about the 10 years I worked for the U.S. Department of State. Episode 8, the final finale finale, the James Bond to close. All right, so, of course, much to my heart's delight, it starts with my man, my man, my man, Austin. I love him. <laughs> Did I say I love him? If this man ever listens to this, he's going to be like, this bitch is crazy. Um, I anyway, think he'll be flattered. They are catching up. Uh, I hope so. And I hope he doesn't think I'm crazy. And I hope he has a twin or someone very single who looks just like him available. I think we me. should just go to the UK, man. He's he. I feel like, yeah, between this, our mutual love of Ted Lasso <laughs> and um, coats. I love a good fall fashion moment. I'm loving that Texas is finally getting cold so I can wear my coats and my boots. But um, yeah, I'm down. Anyway, back to this man and Kate. They are finally catching up about all the happenings of the previous days. What I did not mention in the episode seven recap. Every time something happens, she's like, should I call Austin? Should we tell Austin? And everybody's like, no, no. Calm your dick down. Leave that man alone. The chemistry is chemistry. But they cut it off before it gets too weird because we know it can get weird. We now learn that in a weird turn of events, Trowbridge has woken up and decided that he's cool with the plan changing, even though he was very angry about it the night before. I actually pulled a quote from that scene because it was so dramatic. Tell us. He said, there was something refreshing about the days when America looked us in the face and said we should go fuck ourselves. Now we're back to getting dry buggered and told it's love. He said that. Those words left his mouth. Yeah. Cringe. I mean, I if there if this is a comparison between the Biden administration and the Trump administration, he's not wrong. That's exactly what happened. Wow. Uh, and it's like wildly unprofessional and undiplomatic to do that because the last thing you so much of diplomacy is about making things clear enough, but not crystal clear. Mm. Uh, and the Trump administration had absolutely no trill and no subtlety and no diplomatic understanding of anything so we did tell a lot of people to fuck themselves uh very directly which unfortunately led to people doing stuff without us that now we have to shove ourselves back into because we walked out of that room prematurely and dropped the mic in a way that was real dumb because diplomacy is a long game right so yeah he's kind of right we we did do that okay all right well i'm still docking points for the drama Back at the ranch, Stuart is telling Kate that she has to go to Paris, despite just hearing from Dennison that he was going. So that's the second weird thing, doubly weird. Idra is trying to do her job. She's always trying to do her job and is told, hands off Hal, by Miss Billy and said, go talk to your man. Well, Billy don't know that that's something. She's just like, look, just go get ready and buy this guy. Like, whatever, just listen to me. So Stuart, though, is too busy telling Kate that Dennison is now going on the trip to Paris. Okay, so it went, he's going, he's not going, now he's going. The PM was pissed, now he's not pissed. Like, I was having difficulty keeping up with the plot here because it's like so many changes. Whiplash, whiplash, whiplash. At the crib now, we've gone from the office to the house. We see the packer having her little, like, my fair lady moment with the red dress. And it seems like all of that packing talk, it made Hal a little bit uncomfortable. I, I picked up some hints of jealousy. Stuart, back at the office, is now telling Idra about the VP nomination. So now she's read in. Now the seven people know about the situation. But as soon as she realizes the implication on their actual relationship, she's like, oh, yeah, no, you're done. You're done. And literally kicks him out. So we have our first tandem couple down. Boom. We started off with... Two and a half, and now we only got one. Just break up. <laughs> yes, the song of your people. Back at the house. Also, this episode was just going really, really quickly. There was a lot of scene changes. The pacing was way faster. I was super into it, but it also felt a little whiplashy because everything else has been like slow, slow, slow. And I was like, shum, 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 shum. anyway, so we're back at the house now, again, for the umpteenth time in the episode. The Wilers are snacking in bed and talking shit. And by the end of it, Hal rejects an offer to go to Paris, which Sustran. And then Kate ends up offering him a speech at Chatham House that she's not going to be able to give because she's going to be in Paris. 
he ends up doing the speech the only way he knows how, by taking all the fucking credit and being super attention seeking. He weighs this rule that is literally designed to have people focus on the content of the speech and not the character. And he's like, nah, F that. Definitely trying to set himself up for this secretary of state job, period. I'm saying it. That, that's the first thing that came to mind for me. The people love it. The crowd goes wild. Kate, pissed, and rightfully so, because it is grandiose. It truly is. He's, he's, I thought you were singing in the background, but no, apparently not. Also, I feel like this is the culmination of all of her fears coming true. What is your thought about how Hal, excuse me, handled that speech? I have so many thoughts. Let's go. Uh, Chatham House rule. So first of all, for the is that real? The Chatham House rule. It's a real thing. Yes. Okay. Thank you. And it's a big thing. The Chatham House rule is that you can be cited without attribution. So the idea is, oh, this is a way for someone in leadership or somebody high profile to be really candid and honest about a thing because they don't have to worry about it coming back to them specifically. Mm. The thing about the Chatham House rule, though, is in my experience, so for a lot of new officers at post, or if you're like a junior officer in your first two tours, anytime somebody senior comes to visit your embassy, they usually will do what we call a brown bag <laughs> lunch, round table. They are compulsory. You must go. Um, and this is their chance to quote unquote mentor the young. Um, and they almost always do it Chatham house rule style. So I'm very familiar with this rule because, you know, let's say the visiting ambassador or assistant secretary or deputy secretary will say X, Y, and Z about their career or people they worked with or people in the department, but you can't ever tell anyone they were the one who said it. But the thing is. I think this is the same thing, Fal, as some of the other stuff we talked about where I'm like, well, okay, if you have like any of the context, you know exactly who is talking. And the same thing I think is true in this context. It's very like to me in this day and age of electronics, it's very cute to be like, oh, you can cite it, but you can't like attribute it. But I'm like, yeah, but he's talking about Bosnia and that's kind of the thing he's known for. So who the fuck else would it be who said that? That also wouldn't happen unless they did the like Chappelle thing where you have to literally lock your phone in a bag. Because if you don't think somebody isn't in the back screen recording that shit or recording the audio, even just with their phone in their lap, you trip. To me, to me, Chatham is a polite fallacy. Like there's just no way everyone knows you said it. We're just supposed to like kind of look the other way and agree that we don't know that you whatever. So there is that on the one I, I was kind of more focused on the content of his speech which was the context that you should, that we quote unquote in diplomacy, or I should say those in diplomacy, because I'm not in it anymore. But the idea that the diplomatic structure should be focused on talking to people of all backgrounds and stripes, whether or not you are a quote unquote legitimate interlocutor or not. So the most obvious example of that is this whole truism that the U.S. doesn't negotiate with terrorists. We don't speak to terrorists. Um, and his argument is you should talk to everybody because that's how we get the information and blah, blah, blah. And that's how you make peace. I mean, on the basis of it, it is also like wildly oversimplified. I think it's a wild oversimplification. Number one, yes. because if we're being like a hundred percent here, we already do talk to everybody. Talk about it. We are already getting, we talk to whoever is going to advance our mission. That is, I don't know this for sure, but That's the vibe I think we give. We are already talking to everybody. So that's my number one criticism where I'm like, sir, this is, this is silly. My second thing is there is a reason not to legitimize problematic entities. Like, I don't think the government should be negotiating with say the proud boys, you know what I mean? Or other extremist groups. No, because it elevates and exalts them to a level that I would argue they don't deserve. It took such a long time for social media, for the Internet to figure out that by repeating the crazy shit Donald Trump would say, we were just giving him a larger platform. That's how these algorithms work. Likes, retweets, comments, any engagement is going to bump it up. And I really think it's an oversimplification. Again, from a person like Hal, who has this like megalomaniac, like I can do anything complex. Where I'm like, you know, man, have a solution in mind before you pull the ripcord. 
Because otherwise you've just opened the door to a thing and with the assumption that somehow it's going to lead to a positive outcome when in fact none is intended or even in process. So yep. I, I have some real reservations with that. Now, number one, because that's why we have back channels. We are already collecting Boom. the information that would be useful from these individuals. This is not a quiet part that needed to be said loudly. It really didn't. It, I, I don't, I honestly feel like it's a speech to me that read very much like, this is for people who don't really understand the mechanics of how diplomacy functions, but they know enough to know like some of the buzzwords where it's like, you know what I mean? It would be easy to, to give a talk about like, oh, I'm anti-globalization. Why? Because most people don't understand what globalization means in terms of like real time impacts on their lives and structures and just how broad it is. But they know it's something that means that there are not that many like well-paying, unskilled labor jobs. Right. And they know that we're shipping things offshore. We used to make things in America. And now we don't make none no more. It's, like- it's, it, it's, it's a dog whistle. He's playing to a bunch of dog whistles, which is why it, listening to that speech as an actual practitioner, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? We already he's we vibing to everybody. But to your point, it's giving Trump them. It's, it's giving the like, it, I, I will say the right things. I will get you rip and rant. It's like a coach. It's a Ted Lasso speech, but like not so good natured. It's like even less sweet. thoughtful. It's like thoughtful, yeah. manipulative. <laughs> Yes. You know what I mean? It's like when people rail against like the national debt, because when a person hears debt, they think of something like a mortgage or a student loan. They don't understand that a national debt has nothing to do with those things. No. And the fixes for a thing like a national debt have nothing to do with the things that you would do if you had student loan debt or a mortgage. They don't. They're in no way connected except for the same word is used. That really fucking bothers me, dude. I don't like it. It bothers me as well. It bothers me in general. And then putting it in the context of this show and these characters and all of this nonsense, it was really frustrating because I'm just like, you, Hal, have been doing a really good job for the past two and a half episodes, episode and a half of being the good trophy wife, you know, the tandem husband, wife person. And the suspicions. The mustard seed of suspicion that was planted in me in season one literally bears fruit here because it's like, you've been playing the long game, you meddling man. He has been playing the long game. I think for me, it also comes back to like, would these two people even be together if he could have sex with other women? No. 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 This is all a function of his weird ED. (laughs) That's the only reason we're even having these conversations. Oh, shit. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Because if he was just like every other... (laughs) No, uh, go ahead and yeah. say the quiet part out loud, Miss Fowl. <sighs> not hashtag not all men though, because I do love them and I would like to date one. Not Soon. not all men. Not hashtag so like, not all men. <laughs> oh my lord! And I said it with the red light on. Lord, forgive me. I'm gonna get struck down. But oh it's true. <laughs> but not all women. Not all people. I want to believe that love. That's Ted Lasso again. We'll for you. He's over here talking about can be healthy. Oh man. I know. Wow. <laughs> I am a romantic. I well, am. you know what? I love that for your season. Uh, this particular season of yours. So I support it. Uh, I'm just going to sit here in the corner quietly singing my song. And just break, break up. up with him. Just break up. It's time. Break up with them. Just inclusive, break up yesterday. Inclusive them. <laughs> and why date anyway all right <laughs> i just if you're if you're in a relationship because it's almost like a a shotgun wedding kind of thing i'm like your back is up against a wall that's the only reason we're talking about this relationship it's yeah. not about mutual support it's not about it actually working well for anybody you're here because you can't be anywhere else and that's that's a problem for me it's the sunken cost principle right They've invested 15 years in, their wagons are hitched. And yet. It would be a mutually assured destruction if they broke no, up question mark? No, no, it wouldn't be. No, There's no. always another day. There's always another way around it. People have survived much worse than that and continue to live their best lives. But what about their reputation? What about, what about their careers? Most Americans have been divorced if they've been married. So what are we talking about here? How many diplomats have successfully careered after divorce? Um, most of them. Oh. 80% of foreign service marriages end in divorce. Do they get remarried or do they stay single? Oh, 
a lot of people get remarried. Oh, so this is like the military. <laughs> yeah, man. Just keep on going. I don't know why this is, it's ridiculous to put so much freaking pressure on it. Are you kidding me? Well, because we're told it's forever, Alexis. The marketing is forever. De Beers, forever. Diamonds, forever. Marriage, forever. No? I mean, aspirationally, I think that's great. (laughs) (laughs) But when it's not working, it's okay to be like, hey, this ain't working. Damn. We should stop doing it because it's not working. You're not wrong. We're both getting worse instead of better by being with each other. Oh, no, I'm not advocating that Kate and Hal stay together. I'm just trying to say that I have to believe. (laughs) It sounds to me. I mean, I believe in life after love. Come on, Cher. Yes. I, I have strong faith that you can just get up and fight another day. And you know what? Who knows? Roll the dice. See what happens on the next one. Well... If it's good enough for Prince Charles. I just finished watching The Crown. He loved Camilla down deep. Man, man. I know. He made a spirited attempt at the second one or the first, whichever way you want to paint it, but didn't work out. Second wife, second wife. And now here we are. And talking about just breakup scenarios. I mean, let's talk about the Clintons. Did that need to continue? See now. All right, look. Mm Mm-mm. I'm, I, this is one of the things where I'm like, I'm sorry, public. I'm sorry, America. Are y'all telling me that you feel like it's better for these two people to stay together than for us to deal with a public divorce? No. No. Child. Just break up. Just break up. Just break up. Life is too short for this. Just break up. Mm-hmm. All but, right. You know, that's that's my song. That's the song I must sing. I I, I do jump in and kind of feature <laughs> on that song. <laughs> And I think I'm singing You're on it a lot track. more now in my big age, but I am still romantic at my core. I really am. And I just want everybody to have love. But most importantly, I want everyone to love themselves first. You know, Fel, the beautiful, the beautiful thing about Just Break Up is if, if y'all really feel like, wow, we have more to give to each other, you can always come back together. You can. You can circle the block. I don't believe in that as a practice. That is not a part of my ministry. However, comma, blocks are sometimes made to be circled. Amen. All right. Just break up gives you some space to consider and make an informed decision about what you want to do with your time and resources and self. And then if you decide, listen, I'd like to pour these resources back into the black hole that I recently escaped. Wow. Then you can feel free to do that. Wow. And you know what? Maybe you will find a way for that black hole to no longer suck all of the literal energy and mass out of you and instead become a building platform. Because you know what? We don't know what's on the other side of the black hole, Val. That's the thing we don't know. The limit does not exist. Or something. <laughs> you know, that's that's all I'm saying. Don't be afraid of an ending, y'all, because it gives you space for a new beginning. Okay. That's the t-shirt because everything else before that was just a press read. I was like, where's she going? Because she cussing these people out. They don't know, but they're getting cussed I mean, out. I mean, it's Alexis. It's an Alexis cussed out. I know. Okay. That's why I'm like, so gentle. Mm, all right. <laughs> this is why I don't lean towards discipline. My version of that is just walk me through your thought process. How did we, how did how you do think that that here? went? But here's the thing for the right type of person, that is more excruciating than an ass whip. Forcing them <laughs> to mine their brain for why they did something terrible, that's quite cruel and unusual to some. Please. Some would just prefer to get punched. <laughs> well, it takes all types, Fallon. Takes takes a little bit of everything. All types of torture. All right, let's go. Because <laughs> Hal has been torturing our good sis for 15 15- Although to be fair to him, they dangled in front of him a thing he could not possibly resist. And I will say, you know, as a connoisseur, I would say of toxic personalities and people, (laughs) that man put some real effort into trying to not be himself for her and for their relationship. And then they said, hey, but what if you get to be sex state in your own right? Which, first of all, is another... I don't know. I want to call it a function of this fairy tale that we're living in and this world that the writer has created where somehow people with subject matter expertise are the ones doing important jobs. But because you and I talked about this before, and I think I said it in the last episode, 
There has not been a single career diplomat as Secretary of State since the Carter administration. Much less a married couple, couple, a married couple where one is an ambassador and one is sex state. But the question to what me are the is then, oh, are we talking about a situation in which one of you is VP and one of you is sex state? It seems highly unlikely oh, that, that would shit. be workable. I forgot about the VP part. Yeah. So now yeah. I'm like, are you, you know, it, it's you could interpret this as him saying like, oh, I'm jumping off her ship because my ship has come in potentially. So is he taking her chance to be VP so he can be sex state? Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. But now my brain is connecting this to the Clintons because it did happen for them, but just not at the same time. He was president. She was sex state. You couldn't have you done the same You can't do time. it at the same time. I don't even realize. Why didn't I click? And that you know why? Click? And even just on a functional level, this couldn't happen because of the nepotism rules. So let's say the president is incapacitated. He's getting heart surgery at Walter Reed and the vice president is now the head of state. Mm -hmm. You can't have your spouse be the secretary of state. No, because in the chain of command, what does the sex state become? Or they just stay the sex state. What is they say sex state, but you you would be reporting directly to your spouse. It can't happen. So that's Mm -hmm. to me the unspoken Mm -hmm. that like implicit. They didn't really make it explicit. But if you look, if you walk through the entire thought process here, he immediate his mindset, fuck her. He stiff armed her. He marched on, lynched her ass, mushed the cake in her face, and said, It's my time now. Wow. You know what? He's like Gollum, dude. He just got, they dangled the precious in front of him. What is it? What was that thing called? I don't know the Lord of the Rings that well. What was the ring called? The ring? The ring. Oh, all right. What's the Eye of oh, Sauron? Family, don't, sorry. Family. Okay, nope, I, we don't. can't do this. We can't do this. Don't. <laughs> Please do not open this can <laughs> of worms because do you know how deep into the Tolkien verse I know, I am? I know, I know. Do you know? How much I love those books and that story. I know, I know. This is my fault. I should have known. This is my fault. I apologize. <laughs> oh, now I'm triggered. Now I'm, I'm a little bit triggered now. Oh, man. Oh, boy. Ooh. Wowzers. I wish I could have seen her face when I said that. My bad. <laughs> oh. Oh. No, but I. you will have to explain to me what it is. Just not today. Because I don't remember. Talent. I don't remember. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. I don't think I've even uh, seen all the movies. If you ever have a... I, I, I'm, my head is exploding. Um, if you ever have a day to kill, you should watch all of them. <laughs> you should watch them. Uh, it, it's so good. It's so good. But the books are better. I'm not reading but those the books. the movies are so good. I'm not reading them. I'm not. The so good. Um. <laughs> it is one of the best... Heroes journeys. We don't have time. This is not what this podcast is no. about. I'm leaving and this now, in though. It's all I can think about. <laughs> I'm gonna leave this in though. <laughs> Someone oh somewhere God. needs to hear your joy and like find you and start like being friends. <laughs> when even whenever Stephen Colbert does a Tolkien off with someone, a little part of my heart lights up <sighs> because he is also obsessed with it and he loves the Cimmerillion. And the Cimmerillion is Tolkien for Tolkien nerds. I'm talking about you have not read the books. Do not apply. The Cimmerillion is the deepest of deep cuts. And I respect a man who spent that much time building his world. It's so thoughtful. It's well, so well done. You respect a man that reads books and loves books, period. End of sentence. Let alone writes the books. Oh, that's oh, the ultimate. What? I know. What? That's what I'm here for. I'm here to appreciate them. Anyway, this is not what this podcast is about. Uh, <laughs> it's my fault. I mentioned the Iron Sauron. It is Tolkien my appreciation. fault. <laughs> I take but really, for those of you who have not seen it or read it, do that immediately. Do that. Just do it. Do it for you, for me. Honestly, I think now you volunteer to watch it with me because that's probably the only way it's going to happen. Would love to. Uh... Yeah, man. We ain't got nothing but time. We have nothing but time. We fully do not. That's so true. Wow. We need to finish talking about this goddamn episode and we're so I know. You we are we're so close. I know, but we're so (laughs) close. (laughs) Dear listener, I hope you enjoy these neurodivergent asides as much as we do. Um 
They're staying Oh, in. I was going to say, well, I hope they do stay in. And <laughs> everyone really should read and listen to Tolkien, y'all. It's, and read books. so much period. there. We are team books over here. All I mean, books. Dare to dream. Dare to dream, Fal. No, we are team why. books. They got a bum rap. Some, they, they need better marketing. I don't know what the issue is. Yo, these silent book reviews on Instagram and TikTok are kind of amazing. I love them. <laughs> I mean, I have so many thoughts. Anyway, getting back to the actual focus of this podcast, right. which is this TV show. Right. And so the last thing that we talked about that was relevant to The Diplomat was the Chatham House rule, the speech happening. Let's talk about the fallout from the speech. The people love it. Kate is mad. Even more upset to find out that an MP, a Tory MP, now wants to meet with Hal. And she's just like, what? 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 Here we are again. You overstep in. I will punch you in your face. So she calls to the maybe racist lady Roiland, who's also not her new bestie or fun from inter fund of information interlocutor. And Roiland is like, eh, don't worry about him. He's always in a rush. But she tells her not to worry. So Kate says, I'm not going to worry. Hal obviously meets him anyway, of course, because Hal, why not? Or plans to meet with him, excuse me. Kate is in Paris in her amazing red dress doing her ball thing where she learns that the brats are going to, the brats, the Brits are going to assassinate Lenkov. That is why Trowbridge was cool with it. That is why. Also, the MP that was supposed to meet with Hal, he had a Kid Cudi <laughs> experience where his car blew up and he died. With Kid Cudi is still with it. us, but yeah, he got in the car and the car said, boom. So the episode ends with outing the real villain the true villain and all the little itty bitty ways that Trowbridge planned this whole thing all along. What an ending. Wow. What are your thoughts? First of all, uh, first of all, it's interesting to see kind of how Kate is signaling her teetering and tottering in the relationship. When she's with Hal, it's all black. And then as soon as she's sinking beyond him, we put on the red dress Interesting mm-hmm. signaling there. Very, very interesting. Oh, she's ready. Her body is ready. <laughs> no, she's not not ready. Uh, and then, that is a root chakra color, baby. I she mean, was ready. She said, "I have the dress and I'm wearing it." What the hell did. out of it? And they closed the deal. Uh, but I would, I feel like what's actually happened here to me is quite clear. I don't know if everyone has put all the pieces together. So I'm just going to lay out what I saw happen at that end time. Run it. I saw a person who was struck by Hal's speech about speaking to everyone and doing whatever it takes to create peace and stability, be inspired to then speak with him. That person was very clear. They did not want to talk to an agent of the American government, however. Ooh. What I also saw was Kate check with her special fixer handler person behind the scenes mm-hmm. about the intentions and value of that individual. She went through a direct contact for that information. She didn't go through any of the U.S. government official chains of command. And she has an entire intelligence and political support apparatus at her fingertips to tell her everything she can need to know about this dude. Because you're not going to be an MP. In Britain, without people at the embassy knowing. She could have called Idra, which would have followed protocol, somebody she trusts, but also like getting an advocate to help her because it's been clear that Idra has her back this whole time. Well, not the the whole time, but like In the real world, she would also have called her political chief who would have people who have a direct relationship with this person they would have been cultivating for years because that is what we do. Yeah. Instead, she goes through this woman who is entirely outside of any formal government structure. The third thing we say is a man who is completely spooked by the appearance of official government agents at that informal dinner and who then is assassinated. So what I'm telling you is Roiland called in a hit on old boy because she was he was about to tell Loose lips sink ships. Exactly. Oh, we know that. We and know that. This suggests that this goes even deeper than just mm-hmm. quote unquote this Nickel Trowbridge nonsense. I'm sure there's more to it than this. And, and Roland is really a part of the shadow department who's running the damn government. She is the one. I mean, now Kate, if she ever, if this ever kind of becomes apparent to her, I'm like, you're the one who called in this hit. Yeah, you're an accessory to the hit. You did because that man would still never be here known. today. 
That man would still be here today if you didn't run tell that. And this goes back to one of the points I made in the first couple episodes where I'm like, you know, that cowboy running wild, doing my own thing, approach to diplomacy works until it doesn't work. And this is one of the ways it doesn't work. How many people have died because of this shit? All right. So we had a Tory MP whose car was blown up. We got the Iranian dude who was poisoned at the embassy. We have the British soldiers who died in the beginning. Who else? And if you want to really do a deep cut, you could talk about those Afghans who have now suffered because she didn't show up as ambassador. Well, here you go talking the truth. Yes. Them, the 35,000 people stuck there, the ones who ain't going to make it, the ones who were never going to make it. Uh, that's a lot of people. Although I guess if we're going to be fair, that means that the people of the aleppo Rakahama Triangle were not murdered the way they could have been. Yeah, because they were definitely about to get it. They were going to get it. And, you know, you could talk about the security contractors in the Lenkov group. They apparently also didn't get murdered the way they were going to. Show didn't. They said, just one. We'll take one. Please and thanks. Shit. And there we go. And there we go. So this is diplomacy, eh? <laughs> yeah, this it is. It. <laughs> I mean, they, they, what they've done on this show is make it like very cartoonishly visible. Mm. And they, like I said, they've cut so many freaking people out of the conversations normally because Stuart is, is basically in place of like six different diplomats. But sure. But she's finally let him do his job, kind of, sort of. Kind of. Like I said, kind of, sort of. Hmm. I mean, Kate and I would not be friends. If I ever worked with her at an embassy, I would find her exasperating. I can think of people I knew when I worked who were just like her and mm-hmm. who I suspect would probably have these exact same responses. Mm. Where I'm like, you, I, your intention is pure. I will admit that. And that is something. But your methods are insane. They're wildly disruptive. And because you can't regulate yourself, you don't have enough perspective to know when you are acting insanely. And outside of the government, I've experienced this person as anxious, high strung, in over their head, insecure with a dash of projection. These women are usually managers of people, managers of managers. They are never individual contributors, unfortunately. I mean, in my experience, they start out as I see. Well, we all do. But these are the people who get exalted and rise the ranks because of. Who should never be managing anyone who should really because they don't have it in them to build. They're not people who can build. Yeah, they can. She I will give her credit. She has come up with some very creative fixes. She has done a decent job of building some consensus to get things done. Mm -hmm. And her intention, as I said, is pure. So her goal is always to create the least possible harm as a solution to what's happening. Yeah. And I will honor that and I will acknowledge it. However, it's messy and it's it just is unnecessarily messy. It could be much. It, do, it doesn't have to function that way. And it's very short sighted. takes a very narrow view of both solutions and the tools we have to get there. And I just, you just end up missing so much that's important when you go through life like this. I think we just watch diplomacy like sponsored by deprivation, sleep, Mm. food, rest, silence. And frankly, emotional awareness. Yeah, it's diplomacy by deprivation, truly. Like as you were talking, and again, I've been reflecting, you know, I'm a thinking ass person. I've been sitting here thinking about this shit the whole time. And I'm like, you even said it. You're like, ah. When I, I, when I was hungry, when I couldn't, these people never eat. Even in the show, even in the fake diplomat averse, they're getting that whole deprivation thing pretty accurate. To some extent, dude, I think what we're seeing is what happens when you don't ever deal with your PTSD and your trauma experience. Because if you had met me just after Afghanistan, and I mean right after, I was not sleeping regularly. I had to really reacclimate myself to being a normal human being. I had been on a six day work week. You know, it's, it's a very specific, intense, adrenaline driven existence. And you're now trying to see her function in a place like London, London, you are not in danger. You can sleep, you can eat your meals. And frankly, and I know this is probably an oversimplification. Again, I never worked there. There's nothing happening in London that should stop you from getting a full night of sleep. 
Oh, there might be things wait, happening. Billy said Kate turned it into a real job. <laughs> but it's like, girl, you are living like Afghanistan in London, which really means that the call is coming from inside the house. Indeed. You know, it's yeah. self-imposed. This life of restriction is all you. You live in one of the most beautiful diplomatic properties in the world with a full staff to make you anything you want at a moment's notice. And you don't eat. I'm so glad you mentioned this. They talked a lot of shit about British food these past two episodes. Oh, Overcooked have, yeah. steak, shitty croissants. Like, is the food that bad? I've never been. Obviously, I'm. it's always been on my list to go. I've been to Heathrow's airport. However, comma, is the food that bad? I just want to remind everyone I am on the record. Uh, I think British food is great. I've had amazing meals in the UK. Okay. Now, one thing I would Are they say British that, food or is it ethnic food? I have a two, actually I have a three-pronged response. So mm. I'm going to start with the first pillar, which is obviously <laughs> that Britain's cuisine has benefited from colonialism significantly. Mm-hmm. They have incredible food from the diasporas that have passed through and continue to live in the UK. Mm. I did a uh, street food tour. Honestly, it was like a food tour of the East End, which is the traditional immigrant neighborhood. And when I tell you that food that we ate on that tour was fire, it was absolute fire. Like so good. Every single place basically was like top tier. I'm like, wow, you can't go wrong. Slap, 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 slap. The second uh, poll in my platform on (laughs) British food is good. I had a very good British friend who was an exchange student and undergrad. And of course, people talk a lot of shit about British food. And she was like, I just want to educate y'all for a minute. Uh Pre-World War II, British food was delicious. All right. It was all locally grown. It's all fresh. Uh, And it was delicious because it had terroir. And I can I can hear that. Now, the, the thing she said was what happened was rationing during World War II made everything disgusting because it became tinned and you had to preserve everything. And at that time. Obviously, people also aren't getting enough food or enough variety. So you and I can sit here and be like, oh, whitefish is delicious. But why? Because we have spices and sauces to put on it. Not because it's good on its own. And, and, and that's a thing that they were missing during rationing. They couldn't get access to a bunch of that stuff. So we might talk shit about a specific British thing, but it's like, yeah, it's shitty because y'all had to take the dairy out of it because you couldn't get dairy during the war and making it with water is not as good. Hell no. Uh, yeah. So that's the other thing I would provide. And that's straight from uh, this girl who I used to know. And I was like, fair point, ma'am. Fair point. Third poll in the platform. Third poll in the platform. Modern British cuisine has come a very long way. Okay. Like they are innovating. They're making amazing food, especially if you're willing to travel for it. There is some great stuff to be had. And I have done some mild food touring around the UK including specifically Yorkshire. And I tell you, ma'am, I had a full traditional Yorkshire pudding dinner and that shit slapped. It was delicious. The meat was tender. The gravy was gravying and the pastry was flaky and delicious. And you know what? You pour that with a nice bottle of red. That's a good dinner. All right. I mean, I'm a big Great British Bake Off fan. So it seems like the pastries are pastrin. Um... I just never saw it for the rest of the food. Just TBH. I'm not going to sit here and tell you there are no skips for British food, but I'm not going to tell you that for American food either. There are people in these streets in the United States, especially where we live now, who will swear by a craft single. But when I tell you that I do not support plastic cheese, I Ooh. don't, but it is an American staple. No, to the muck. Only freshly grated by yourself. I made my mac and cheese for Thanksgiving with freshly grated cheese. I did it all myself. And it came out And perfect. you know very well, Fallon, you could probably think of a person who'd be like, yeah, I love Kraft Singles. And you'd be like, that is disgusting. And I feel bad about that for you. I want more for you, Kraft Singles people. I, you deserve cheddar. You deserve it. Is a banger and mash delicious? I would say, yes, it is. Do I have thoughts about mushy peas? Kind of, but you know what? You put a mushy pea in Indian cuisine and that shit's dope. It slaps. But, but you got see the big difference here is spice. It's Those spice, Indian peas are going to be spiced within an inch of their life and it's going to be amazing. I also am open to having a mushy pea and being like, you know what? Everything else I had had so much texture. What I needed was something mushy to even it out. I, you can win me over with Is there crunch style. in that dish? Because it sounds like mush on mush on mush. I didn't hear crunch. You could, you could serve a mushy pea with pretty much anything, I would believe. Listen, if you are a British culinary expert, you've now heard me throw down. I am here for y'all. Ooh. I'm open to it. I've had great food in the UK consistently. And I also, 
Look at let's look at the meal they invented, right? Afternoon tea, high tea. It tea is great. Slaps. It's tea delicious. Yeah, and the pastries traditional are fantastic. British meal. The tea, Girl, the, the pastries. I love a good lemon curd situation. Love, love, love. I'm not gonna. I'm not getting into the sandwiches. Yorkshire puddings in it. It was delicious. They were Yorkshire savory. They were so good. good. Yeah, man. yeah. Okay, all right. Maybe, maybe. But I'm from New Orleans, so you're not gonna sit here and tell me that anything is better than New Orleans food. Period. No one. That is a straw man argument. No one said anything about New Orleans, Fallon. You. I just needed to make the record, <laughs> but I'm gonna. I have to. As a card carrying member oh. from the night ward, just everybody needs to know you, that I am from the place. You came with the here best with violence food. In, in your heart. Oh, that is always, not what was on the always. table. Nope. <laughs> you came Doesn't here matter. to start a battle. But I'm yeah. saying if you are open to it, you will have amazing <laughs> meals in the UK. But you need to do your research. Yeah. And you can't just live on a, on a wing and a prayer. But I would argue you can't really do that anywhere. There are some places where you wing in a prayer and you will F yourself up. And that will be your own fault. Oh, man. Fresh off of traveler sickness. <laughs> or just like, oh, maybe you don't like chicken feet. Don't order chicken feet. You know what I mean? Go oh, for a different dish. Yeah, don't, don't do that. Get yourself don't some bao. Let's get a soup dumpling. Oh, uh, mm, I always love a soup dumpling. Yay, yeah, but like, do where the Shaolong bao? All Shaolong bao everywhere. I <laughs> loves you. Deeply. I'm here for it. But yeah, British food industry, call me. I'm here for y'all. You just need better marketing. I know you're recovering. I know you all have taken things to new heights. London happens to have the only Michelin starred African restaurant, I believe. And we're going when we find ourselves in London. <laughs> I'm going to claim it next year. Oof. Boom. We must. I'm excited about I that. I need to go find, Gerald, I need to go find Austin. He needs to know. I love him. I need to look <laughs> at his face and say, I love you. You got to find him on Instagram. <laughs> Sliding to those DMs. His PR <laughs> professional will be like, great, it's working. We're building my profile. It's the women. The women are- The important. Americans. The American young aunties in training are obsessed with you. <laughs> I mean, Black British men have a great following in the US. Look at Idris Elba. People forget he's not American. I was so sad. Yeah, Stringer Bell. I was so sad when I found out he was married, but his wife is gorgeous. So he also no, seems no like a dope dude. He just seems comprehensively yeah. cool. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because he could act, he can rap, he can DJ. I feel like he seems like a dude with no chip on his shoulder, which is the same reason no. I like Austin Dennison. Honestly, oh, just so cool. So I say the same thing about life. Daniel Kaluuya. They they all just seem yeah. like, yeah, man, I'm here just being great. I'm just being great yeah. in this space. I don't have any beef with anyone. We just need to go to London. <laughs> I, yes. I, you know, I'm never going to say no to that. I'm a big file. <laughs> but no. Okay. So yeah, they talked a lot of shit about British food these last two episodes. Um, they talk shit because, and these are also people who like don't even eat anything. You know what I mean? It's like when people try to sound like they know something about it. It's like if you said something like, if someone was like, oh man, the NFL's so bad this year. And you were like, I know. Can you believe how shitty the Lions are? You can probably predict the Lions are always going to be shitty, right? You yeah. don't have to know anything about football to know that. Yeah, you don't. You don't. The Lions tend to be shitty. Also, my beloved Saints, they also tend to be shitty. And that's why I'm off football. <laughs> I know this as a person who does not care about sports and was stuck in a lot of spaces where that nonsense would come up and I would have to be have my thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where I'd be like, yeah, can you believe the... You know, the Bears got to get it together. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Ah, these I coaches. Don't know shit. These Ask coaches a single staff. additional question. I know nothing. Uh, and these people clearly know nothing about food. My favorite when I'm at the game is just to be like, referee! Can you believe that cold? <laughs> Why don't they ever call traveling anymore? Traveling, Ridiculous. That's basketball. Offsides! That's soccer. <laughs> I know. I know. I've got a few for each one because like, I don't care wait. about any of them. <laughs> I don't care about a single one. I've, le I've learned more about soccer watching Ted Lasso than I did in 12 years of watching my brother play youth soccer in Los Angeles. Ted Lasso learned about soccer life. playing Ted Lasso. We all did. Because <laughs> he didn't know shit. I mean, I didn't realize they had different positions. Besides oh, the goalie. Oh, yeah. that Because to me, that. it just looks like y'all are just running up and down this field. Right. But it turns out some of them are supposed to be in front or some are supposed to stay in back. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know a thing about that. That's been very helpful. It might have made those games more interesting if anyone had said that. I'm just usually looking at the butts and the legs. Because um, I'm. I don't, know, I don't usually me. think athletes are that attractive. Ooh, I personally. Because they're not, they're not that smart. I mean. Usually. 
Sometimes yes, but often not. Not all athletes. Not all athletes, but mostly not. Yeah. I was a stack girl for my high school basketball team, and I was really hopeful that I would finally crack the cone on what it is these lads I mean, are thinking. And it turns out not much. There's, there have been a couple of NFL there. dudes who've like retired and become doctors. Like, yeah. Like, yes, ooh, probably not your first stringers. Probably not your first stringers because, yeah, that, there was no real incentive for them to be smart. But the rest of them who maybe had to like knew they were going to get a have to get a job one day, like, you know. Also, I just don't love that level of ego often, but mm. I think that's also because there's not enough room because I'm already very arrogant Ooh. and I'm just like, we can't both be full of ourselves, but maybe we can. Maybe there is space. Who knows? And now we have come full circle back to Kate and Hal. Look at that. Lol. Look at that. <laughs> I'm open to being surprised, but I prefer an academic. Yeah. Yeah. I love how this has turned into like our like manifestations for our partners. Great. I don't have a problem with that. This is our podcast. We say what we want on the mic. And you know what? I, again, reiterate, everyone should read Tolkien. Do it. (laughs) I should never have said that. I lost you. I lost you 20 minutes ago. You triggered me so hard. It's like you said, I've never read Harry Potter. And I was like, oh no, Fallon, I can't. Oh, they were just too intense. And I didn't know about the books before I saw the movies. Okay. I do think I saw at least the first two. Were there three? Yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't remember the second one. I barely remember the first one. We're just, we're just gonna I watch think there it. were four movies, but it covers the three books. I also didn't watch Star Wars until I was like almost 30. Star Wars is overrated. And you oh. know what? That's the hottest take you're going to hear on this entire podcast. And you can feel free to come for me. But Star Wars is overrated. The world building is sloppy. Oh. And most of the plot makes no sense. Whoa. Yeah, I said it. And I said what I said. And you can come for me on that. I fell asleep watching these movies three times. I've tried so many times to watch and them. And did you watch all so of them, the old ones and the new ones? Uh-huh. What order? Oh, the old ones first. I mean, I was a kid before, you know, and the new ones came out as an adult. And No, but you know, them, like plot-wise, the new ones actually are the preface of the old ones. So if you oh, watch I know, it in reverse but it order, doesn't. Blah, blah, blah. This is my problem, though, because if you're going to do prequels, they should add something to the world you've built. If you look at The Hobbit, at least they bring in the story of Baron and Luthien, which explains the concept of a cross-elf and man relationship. And we even get in a little bit to the history of the Maiar, which is the entire history of Sauron, which is why this whole thing exists in the first place. And that is what proper world building looks like. That's not what happens in those prequels for Star Wars. I have no additional information about the Federation. I have no more information about how this galactic world came to be, what the hierarchies are, who has which equity. There's almost no continuity between anything. We just have these weird interpersonal connections that people assume are evidence of real plot and character development when in fact they are not. Mike, drop. I said what I said. I know you did. And I stand by it. I know you do. <laughs> There's nothing huh. there. It's a big bowl of nothing. They have lied to you with special effects. Oh, wow. Maybe that's the next pod. Maybe we need to <laughs> walk me through the Lord of the Rings with your passionate ass. Oh. <laughs> for the first time. <laughs> the only downside of that foul is I'm a little bit pro-evil. You oh. know what I mean? Like for me, Sauron is one of the most sympathetic characters. Because what would you do if you lived for 5,000 years without a single equal? And the person who created you and is supposed to care for you disappeared, died off after making you what you were. And you have no one to relate to? Wouldn't you become a little bit evil? I mean, after 5,000 years, yes. It's inevitable that a version of you is pure evil just because the nature of beings and existing. Like to be 5,000, I mean, shit. We know people in their 50s who are crotchety and over it. Imagine being 5,000. And imagine if those people could do like actual magic and they had the power to sway men's minds. Are you telling me there wouldn't be any chicanery? Oh, no, yeah. Sir. No, I mean, chicanery and if it would was, abound. I don't know Sauron's gender, but this is where I get on the screw men bandwagon. But like, whoa, if Sauron is a dude, then yeah, we've seen what men do in power. I mean, the real power. question is, does evil have a gender? You know, because that's why I said what I said. I didn't make assumptions. Oh, no. She is smart all the time. All the time. She is smart. That's why I said what I said. I was like, if it's a dude. 90 minutes. 90 minutes in. 
we have defined the essence of masculinity as pure evil. <laughs> not, not, no, power is evil. The essence of power well, is rooted it. in. I know I just did, but I'm ungendering it. <laughs> Control Z. I didn't say it. <laughs> Woo. Undo, undo, undo. That's why, that's why we get off the mic after an hour, usually. Because now we're, we're in deep, dark territory, man. Well, I only really actually have three questions, and then we Hit can it. end this. Hit it. Three questions and a random fact. So there's a random fact. There's a cryptic radio communication that happens over part of the credits. And it says... Quote, this is Dolphin 3-6 transmitting in the blind. We suspect comms failures. So I don't know where that's going to take us for this next season, but this is teeing up my question. So we finished season one. I want to start the final questions with a prediction. What do you think is going to happen next season? We know it's coming. We don't know when. What do you think is going to happen? Assuming we stay in the UK, uh, I think the case against Trowbridge is going to become significant. I think Roland's going to dump him as the fall guy because he's an idiot and he's easy to put in the line of fire. Mm. I think we're going to see Kate come to terms with whether or not she can leave Hal while he is injured. And I think she's going to have a really hard time with that because like most people who overachieve and are codependent, she needs to be needed and he never needs her more than when he's incapacitated right we saw how she acted when you know they thought they she thought they took him Mm-hmm. and i think we're going to continue to see this tension between him as sex state potentially her as vp potentially and then we're going to see the vp scandal kick off and potentially her have to transition back mm. uh and anything else i would put out there Stuart and Nisha. what's up with them are they broken up are they going to stay broken up is Stuart going to follow I, Kate if she leaves? Is that even a thing? I predict a short relationship recovery followed by another break. Mm. An actual break, factual break, or just a pause? Mm-hmm. I think she's going to feel bad about having cut him out after what happened. Because what you can't have is a breakdown between intel and governance. No, you can't. And both of them are the embodiments of those two concepts. So y'all need to make it work. And outside of the romantic relationship, they... Seem to be good colleagues. There's also something about witnessing damage or going through it that tends to make people cling to each other. Mm-hmm. So I feel like in the aftermath of that explosion, she's going to feel like, oh, my God, I almost lost you. He's going to feel like, wow, we I can't believe we're in this situation. And they're briefly going to pretend like they're people who can sustain a healthy relationship with each other. And then they're going to just break up. Oh, girl, you and your damn song. I love it. We need to like actually record that shit one day and like put it on the soundboard so we can just like hit the button. Um, maybe that's, we are going to upgrade for whatever future seasons of content. We need to get a soundboard so we can just press buttons. Um, damn. And I lost the plot. See shit. Forgot what I was going to say. Oh, got it. No, no, no. I got it. I got it. It's back. Um, Stuart, Idra, I think Stuart, my impression of like who has the power in that relationship, speaking about power, she does. Cause I think he likes her more. And I think he wants the relationship more than she does. I mean, they always say the more avoidant partner is the one who controls the relationship. And she's definitely the more avoidant of the two. Oh, yeah. Whoever's the most avoidant wins. Always. Always. And that is where they are. The hope, though, is that you um, ping pong back and forth over the duration of the relationship. That's what kind of keeps the, the power balance even. But, like, power is always in the room. It's just... Who's paying attention and who can map it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Always. You hear me? Yes. It's always potentially in competition because power is always in the room. Yeah. So, okay. That being said, let's go there. Who has the power now? Who's winning the Power Olympics? Who's at the tippity top of the other triangle? Between pyramid, everybody? Whatever. Yeah. All of our characters. Who's winning? Right now, I'd say Meg Rowland is winning. Power rankings. Yeah. Because yeah. no one's even paying attention to her. We're out here talking about no. Trowbridge ordered the hit. Lady, what? Yeah, the one who's like, she's the whiz. 
I told Damn. you she's the devil. She's Damn. the one. Those fixers. I are, mean, I had it out for her as soon as they mentioned that she was racist. I was like, yeah, no, she's she could die. The fixers are the real political power around the world. The funny thing to me in this instance is that they divorced her from the money that it would take to be her in the U.S. And in our context, the people who are her are all rich and not like a little bit rich, like evil rich, like so rich. You what's know, you to say that lives. she's not. No, but what's to say that she's not rich? She's not that rich. You know, think so? No, she's not a billionaire. What is her actual position again? I forgot. Advisor. She's always just been an advisor. If you're a fixer, you live in the background. She's stage managing. She's not on stage. Yeah, conservative party operative who built the strategy. Yo, yeah. So how, yeah, she has to have money if she's operating, huh? She got some money, money, but she's not the money. Yeah, she's not the money. Not like here. Well, I also think that the money works differently in Britain too, just because of the whole them being the first imperialist thing. I think they actually, even though this is going to sound very controversial to a lot of people, I actually think they're more concerned with corruption than we I are. I could see that. So they have more structures to protect against that than Yeah, we do. GDPR alone. We have nothing. GDPR alone. Which is so funny. Is enough. When, when, <laughs> when Stuart's like confronting uh, Hal about taking the meeting, he's like, are you going to suggest that I would sell access? And it's like, bitch, everybody's selling access. Are you kidding what? me? Like- I love that Stuart's face does not even change where he's like, what? Stuart is the MVP. I don't care about the power rankings. I feel like if I had to like pick my favorite, he's my favorite. He's my favorite character. That poor put upon second mm-hmm. in command doing mm-hmm. his best, trying yep. to make it happen. Uh, yeah. Meg Rowland at the top. And who's at the bottom? Everybody else in flux. Who's at the bottom, bottom? Nickel. Trowbridge. He doesn't know it, Whoa, but he is. okay. Because he's out. Does Hal outrank Kate? We'll have to see how damaged he is. Where does Austin sit in relations to them two in your power rankings? Austin is not a competitor. Ooh. He has no kill instinct. Ooh. So he's going to have to just wait and see how it plays out. <sighs> Shit. Billy. I mean, even in that room with the French ambassador, she created a whole strategy to get him and her closer. And what does he do? He kamikazes himself so that she could be the one to do it. Yeah. Austin, what you doing, homie? He's a what martyr. What you doing? He's too much of a martyr. Yeah. He's not playing. Baby. Aww. He's just on the field <laughs> somehow. He's so cute. <laughs> okay. No, I see. That's, that's why. Okay. Going back to like the who I should date. I, it's going to. If I date somebody who's I find to be very attractive, that's going to be really trouble for me because I'm just be looking at him like, you're so cute. Look at you. Huh. Why is that a bad thing? I think that's what people do. No, I know, but I want to be mad. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm mad and they did do something you? wrong, I want to be oh. able to be angry about it and not distracted You'll by their there, cuteness. Pal. You'll get there. Yeah, no, I'm like, I, I would not take it seriously if he was mad at me. I'm like, you're too cute. Look at you. I don't, I don't think he could really do it. No, probably he not. Doesn't, he doesn't have it. Yeah. He couldn't provoke you on purpose. No, but I'm always just around the corner being aggravated. So it's, it's always possible. <laughs> You're like, I live next door to irritation. So <sighs> I'm trying to move away. Anger. I'm really doing my best to evict myself from the neighborhood, but it is like everything else, a process. Okay. Enough about and me. I support it. Much like this podcast, because we are uh, an hour and 40 minutes in. Man. We are not doing a two-hour episode. Final question. I'm just throwing away the other one. Fuck it. Hit it. Uh, what do you never want to see again? <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> I don't want to see her complain about her freaking clothes anymore, but I know she will. Okay. And I, I don't want to, I just want to see her make a decision about her relationship and stick to it and go on with building her life in one direction or the other. But I don't want to see any more. I would really love to see no more people be killed yeah. innocently. Um, and I'm tired. 
I'm sorry. They really lose me when they start talking about career diplomats taking on like executive level appointments Mm. in a presidential administration. That's nonsense. Nonsense. Even getting a political appointment as ambassador to London as a career diplomat is far-fetched. The idea of you being VP or sex state is ludicrous. (laughs) I'm just like, stop lying to me. Stop lying to the world. Hmm. Stop this. What do you never want to see again? What are you over? I'm over. I think I'm over. I'm over the women not getting actual credit for the shit that they do. Like proper credit. Because it seems as though like I'm just thinking about that scene with Idra and Kate and the Russia lady. I was just like, here are these three women in the room about to do all the stuff and figure it all out again. And to be completely thwarted by the men that they're surrounded with. So I'm tired of seeing that. I'm tired of seeing the men get in the way. As much as we love them, they are usually in the way. Except for Stuart. <laughs> except for Stuart. I want Stuart to get more credit and I want to see him able to do his job without much issue. I am tired of seeing these weird interpersonal relationships. I think everybody kind of does need to bring up I'll Join You in singing that song. Because, yeah. And I'm tired of seeing them not eat. Self-care. Tired of seeing them not eat. And if they change locations, I want to see them doing other shit, but I know that that's not the purpose of the show. Yeah, it would be nice for anyone to have a well-mounted, like, 3D personality instead of being a flat. A fully developed character outside of being a worker bot. How did Stuart get there? Everybody has a story. All we have is this. And so, like, I would like it, kind of going back to our Star Wars conversation. What's the origin story here? What was baby Kate and like, you know what I'm saying? Like, how do we... We're going to have to cut so much of this. It is wild. Mm. But we can't though, because now I'm referencing it. So we have to keep it in. This we can cut out. Star Wars rant. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it it makes sense. Look, I'm making it make sense. Watch me. I'm doing it. See? We need to go back and find out more about how these people got here. Because all we have are the assumptions about their story. We don't know how Highland Kate met. We don't know what it was like when he was ambassador. I know, I roll, I roll, but we don't know. So tell us, maybe everybody doesn't get a full story, but like, I would actually like to know how Kate and how came to be, or just fuck hell. Kate, tell us more about Kate. Set us up to maybe have a little bit more empathy for her so we can see how she got here. If Hal really loved her and really supported her, he would quit. And take one of those jobs that old boy offered him at that little steak dinner they had. But the same, this is the same man who was like, you should be sex date. So like, screw him too. I mean, I was going to say that is very typical of like DC and DC operatives. It's full of like loud mouth people just talking, pontificating. Yeah. If someone in DC was like, you should X, Y, and Z, you just be like, okay. We don't need to necessarily make that into an action. But no, but to your point, Hal has been sitting doing double dutch trying to get ready to jump in. Like he don't know how to sit down. He doesn't know how to be in the background. And that much is clear. I mean, he he threw her overboard when he made that speech and waved the Chatham House rule. It's obvious that he's not going to do it. So, yeah, I think I would like them to break up. I, I, I actually agree with you. But now he's injured. I know. She I won't know. be able to do it. So. We are not having a two hour long episode. It's not going to happen. So let's leave it here. We, well, I, I'm going to speak for myself. I hope you enjoyed this departure from the regular off-duty diplomat (laughs) thing. I also hope that it gave you context. I feel like y'all got a lot more tea on this series. You got to know us a little bit more as people. Um... Yeah, a lot about us. And like when the second season comes out, I would love to come back and do this again. We can keep doing it. Also, I will throw this out there. If there's another show, like, should we do the Lord of the Rings thing? I'm going to ask the question. No one's going to answer, but I'm going to ask it. Should we do the Lord of the Rings thing where Fallon really watches it for the first time with an expert and enthusiast? And we see what happens. What are your parting words for the people? Alexis. 
You know, y'all, it, this has been a real roller coaster. It was actually very triggering for me to watch this show. It took a lot for me to do it and to watch it thoughtfully and honestly and reflectively. But you know what? It's been a very valuable experience. So I thank you all for coming with us on this ride as always. And um, if in doubt, just break up. Uh, and just remember that your ending is creating space for something better. Yes, it is. Always. And, uh, and I hope you'll join us on the regular feed and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Diplomat is an oral memoir of my career in the Foreign Service. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love a review. Thanks for listening. If you would like to support the show, you can do that on Patreon, or you can buy hats, mugs, t-shirts at Public. If you are a current or former diplomat that would like to tell your story, you can email me at offdutydiplomat at gmail.com. 